episode number 65 of Chunky Glasses, the podcast. Uh, this is Kevin. Uh, if you're listening to this right now, it is probably not because you're a fan of me. It's because you're a ban- fan of the band Failure. Uh, Failure was an alt-rock band uh, active in the 90s. They broke up in 1997, uh, not before leaving behind the monumental Fantastic Planet. Um Earlier this year, actually about a month ago, they announced that they were reuniting and put out a new single. Then they headed out on tour. Uh, last week, they stopped at the Fillmore Silver Spring. Uh, Roddy had a chance to sit down with them. Roddy being basically their biggest fan. Uh, Could have gone like hilariously awkwardly wrong, uh, given that fact, uh, but it did not. And so what we have here is a fantastic conversation uh, with... Uh, guitarist and multi-instrumentalist Greg Edwards from Failure. So I'm just going to like get right to it. Uh, here we go. This is episode number 65, Chunky Glasses, the podcast with Greg Edwards from the band Failure. Okay. It happens here, and it finishes here. Two men enter, one man that right there he is a It's one of my favorite albums. Oh, like cool. ever. A lot of my friends also feel that way. Um, so it's kind of a big, big honor and moment. So appreciate that. Oh, thank you. Uh, all right. Thanks, man. So uh, let me know off the bat if you're just flat out sick of talking about Fantastic Planet in any way. We can take it off the table completely. Um, no, no. It's whatever, you know, <laughs> yeah, any, anything yeah. is open for discussion um so that that magazine that you mentioned that uh that you were looking at um is that still around that publication is it la specific or yeah i think i believe the recycler is still around i mean it's kind of uh, i would imagine something like ebay is really yeah, yeah. put a dent in the, the need for that right. but um it, the recycler had everything i yeah. mean everything there okay. was just one section that was music and right I think I was working with someone else, but I was still eyeing ads because we were actually looking for other um, p- people to f- to fill out the band. And I'd come across this ad a few times yeah. that was looking for a bass player, which didn't really work with what I was doing because right, I right. was already a bass and guitar player. And we were just sort of like seeing if we could find either or yeah. whatever and, and fill it out. But I saw this ad that said... Um, it was uh, like dark, moody trio seeks bass player. Some parallels with um, early Cure, Bauhaus, and Joy Division. Nice. That was exactly what it said. Wow. And the first time I saw it, it actually said fretless uh, preferred. Yeah. And then they took that out because ah. I think like they, they, just, <laughs> they weren't getting any hits. With yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Did you have a fretless? I remember seeing some of the early videos where you got, you're playing one, but uh. I didn't. I didn't have a fretless until um, 
I joined Failure. Yeah. But um, but I loved Fretless. Yeah. And I loved specifically um, this bass player, Mick Karn, from mm-hmm. this band called Japan. Okay. Which is kind of like... Um, they're, they're sort of like the... Um, more uh, sophisticated, serious, muso uh, part of the new romantic Duran okay. um, Duran thing, yeah, like, yeah. like a band like Duran Duran. Yeah. I mean, they were they were taking it right from some seventies glam rock and right. David Bowie, yeah. and then kind of bringing it into the this the new whatever new wave new wave and they did it in a, yeah. in a brilliant way the singer was this guy david sylvian who actually went on to do some really um great records and he had a really interesting voice and good lyrics and then and the bass player mick Carn, he was just this fantastically uh, unique bass player nice. who had grown up in, in a middle eastern household yeah. and um so he had all the, those kinds of uh musical um, scales yeah, yeah. in his head and everything. So yeah. when he played fretless, he just played. I mean, if you've never heard it, you've, you've right. got to just oh. check it out. There's yeah. a song called "Sons of Pioneers," yeah. specifically where you can really hear the interaction between him and and the singer David Sylvian and David Sylvian's brother, the drummer um, Steve Jensen, which mm. was just like truly unique band but anyway i was already into that so the idea of fretless was very appealing to me and then when i i called that ad uh you know went and met with ken in his apartment talked a little bit he gave me a demo tape i went and learned that stuff Mm. showed up at a, a rehearsal place where robert gauss was and and uh we played through the songs and it was kind of i think it was pretty immediately apparent yeah. you know just it's connected it was going to be fine and then i was just all about getting a fretless bass yeah <laughs> and so and i got this bass called a wall uh-huh. which uh i think the fact that i played the wall is actually is the reason that uh that justin the two justins justin from tool chancellor yeah yeah and and justin the bass player who played with beck and uh-huh, yeah. and played with nine inch nails and, uh-huh. and justin meldel johnson nice. i think that's his name i'll go with that yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but i think they actually both got into walls because i was playing one but oh, wow. really for me it all came from this guy mick karn who passed away a few years oh, ago wow. sorry um that's but, kind yeah. of amazing. So, was the band that you were with before when you saw the ad uh, similar in terms of influences, or was this kind of well, kind of that, out of left field? Something you that really was just me and this other guy, and uh, we were young and pretty ambitious mm-hmm. and not experienced at all. And he was he was a singer, uh, songwriter. I think he wanted to be kind of like a Kerouac, Jim Morrison meets. <laughs> whatever filtered through Bowie or yeah. you know but he, he wasn't a great singer yeah yeah um but the the ambition part of it and mm-hmm. sort of the vision and picturing what we could do and right. all of that was there um and uh, so it was that that was kind of my first collaborative relationship musically okay um 
But then when, when I started working with Ken, it was a whole different thing. Right, right. You know, and I was very, I was also very young at that point. I mean, yeah. I couldn't even get into clubs. Oh, really? To drink. You How know? old were you? I was not 20. I was 20. Oh, wow. When okay. we started playing. So, uh, yeah, I was, you know, I was just this young bass player yeah. kid, yeah. you know, who uh, I, I wasn't um, really thinking about songwriting right, or right. or a big picture like that right, but right. um uh and but that quickly changed yeah. and uh and there was just a immediate dynamic between the three of us right, and right. the way we played you know would would you say Ken was kind of the one driving the ambition of of getting this thing sort of rolling well or? he had demos of stuff right. you know he had songs like pro catastrophe um that uh you know were fully they they just they had a very definite mm-hmm. sound. Yeah, they yeah. had that that dissonance, but it was right, still right. pop. Right. All of that stuff, which just totally appealed to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so he 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 was doing. He had demos like that that he had completely finished. Many of which didn't end up on Comfort, but th- those were the springboard for what we did as a band when we started just right. playing and jamming and writing songs as a band um songs like screen man and macaque mm-hmm. and uh you know that that was kind of the beginning of me writing right. songs and um you know all the all the songs salt wound and swallow these were yeah. all just like spontaneous moments in the in the room and um and then ken was doing all the the vocals the melodies and lyrics and stuff um but then that that sort of all changed when robert left mm-hmm. because he uh, he just um you know frankly didn't like the direction we were going in right okay uh with the magnified demos I remember the magnified I demos there were a few i remember uh seeing clips of you jamming out on that drum machine and that was yeah there were a few songs we played for him that ken and i were really excited about right kind of like and that was the beginning of us really starting to collaborate just yeah. one-on-one yeah, yeah. and uh I don't know if it was the drum machine or mm. I, or just the fact that the song was kind of the songs were more pop for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, he just he didn't want anything to do with it. Yeah. So well, it seems like you guys we, we did parted, okay and parted found ways. A, found yeah. a brilliant chemistry between you and Ken. Yeah, and then you know, and and Robert was there's no doubt that Robert was influential though to the the. Um, the sort of rhythmic sensibility of the yeah. band for mm-hmm. sure i learned a lot from watching him play his patterns yeah, were yeah. very uh um they're very heavy and yeah. punk but they were very cerebral right too at the same time yeah, yeah. and the where he would place the snare and all mm-hmm. that i you know i learned a lot from that so moving forward that was that was great and and we were we were working on magnified kind of stuck with uh the drum machine uh-huh and me just programming the drum machine. So yeah. I became pretty adept at, like, actually playing right, the drum machine. Right. Like, I Did could, you parlay that into an actual kit? Because I remember Ken's commentary in Golden, where he talked about you're actually, you know, pretty fairly solid drummer in your own right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I could, I could, it was always easy for me to sit down and play a beat on yeah, a kit. But, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm not technically, I can't, sure. can't do anything special. Right. But I could do enough to... Um, Magnified was mostly done following the guidelines we had set down in the demos where it was a drum machine. And then I, we just went into the studio, and I sort of laid in piece by piece. So yeah. one take would be 
like me doing the snare yeah. pattern, and yeah. then one take would me do, would be me doing the maybe like the cymbals and the bass drum, yeah, or yeah. you know whatever yeah. I, I could do, which um, was because of my lack of ability to play these patterns straight through. But mm-hmm. it was it's also an interesting way to record. I mean, it, it's not like a very organic way sure. to record, but. Sure. An album like Synchronicity by The Police mm-hmm. was done exactly like that right. with a drummer who's, you know, more than capable mm-hmm. of uh, yeah, yeah. playing. But it was just done that way for the sonics of it because yeah. you get that kind of control and separation and right, everything. Right. To a click as well? or um, Yeah. Most yeah. most of that stuff was uh, maybe I think all of that stuff on that record was to a click. Yeah. And I th- think there was some tempo mapping and mm. stuff, so that add there there was some natural flow from part to part. But um, it was really the only way we could do it. Yeah. You know, I think yeah. like on that record, one thing that was really interesting was um, uh, Undone, for mm. instance, which was that was the a drummer that we worked with in the interim between Rob and Kelly. Mm. Um, he played. The one a, you guys upset. Is John Dargahi was his name. Was the, he? the one that you guys upset, according to Ken's commentary on Golden. But uh, he had said, you, could, you know, it was very critical, hard on him. He kind of left halfway through the process. Is that. Uh, was that. Is it Was it the drummer or the producer? I think it was the drummer. Okay. I don't really remember upset. I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. But Maybe not he, upset, he, was, he was a sweet guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was just... Uh, but he did play some stuff. Um, Wonderful Life in particular mm-hmm. is are his drum takes okay. put together. And yeah. Undone is him playing. Um, and then we took like a few bars of it. Mm-hmm. And, and this is back in the day before yeah. Pro Tools yeah. we you know took a mic stand mm. and kind of triangulated it with the tape machine and uh-huh. created a loop oh, wow. of the drums and then yeah. recorded that onto another machine nice. and then you know and that's that song is a loop yeah. in the verses yeah, yeah. wow um, how did you guys arrive at the name Failure was that something Ken already had in his pocket? Yeah Failure is a name that Ken and Rob um based off of something that Jello Biafra had said uh, something to the effect of that that's like the uh, one uh, great unused band name or hmm. something like that nice. there should be a band called failure yeah yeah but that yeah that had nothing to do with me I mean I I didn't even know who Jello Biafra was <laughs> <laughs> when I joined the band so yeah it, it's funny because it sounds like it sort of became, in a sense, the sort of sonic template and, and you know, just slightly dissonant, a little off kilter, but kind of perfectly so. It's, it's, in a sense, it feels like Fantastic Planet almost perfected failure as a concept. Yeah. Well, I think, I think, like, I, I was not like a huge fan of the name right off the bat, mm-hmm. but, um, but I like, I like that it was iconic. Yeah. And simple. And then I think, just in terms of the way that it, it kind of rubbed against or informed the lyrical content or song titles mm-hmm. or even album titles. I yeah. mean, I think I got into that right from the beginning with, like, Comfort. Right. When I said, let's call the first record Comfort, nice. Failure, Comfort, and, yeah. and Failure, Fantastic Planet. There's sort of that irony. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I 
it, it's worked out fine as a name. Nice. <laughs> uh, did you guys have a very clear direction you wanted to go with Fantastic Planet when you set out to record it? I know that you wanted to sort of do something kind of grand and artful, uh, and that you guys, you know, got the house and the studio gear from yeah. the, you know, I think that Magnified, we, we had, um, I, I think we were fairly confident that we could really do something um, epic <laughs> yeah. uh, after Magnified. And, you know, the the fact that we had... Uh, Magnified was a pretty eclectic record, especially compared to Comfort. Sure. And, uh, you know, going from Let It Drip to Small Crimes to um, Undone, you know, yeah, I mean, there's, yeah. there's a lot in there. And especially a song like Small Crimes, yeah. that for me was... That was sort of the the, the top of what yeah. we had done. I, I love the fade out and then the fade back in. Yeah, and if you guys can do that live, I will be blown away. Just <laughs> we we kind of talked about it, but it would be maybe the sound the guy. The sound guy might have to do that right. for us. But um, uh, so I think going into Fantastic Planet, we had big ambitions and. You know, we were always just listening to. Yeah. I mean, we're listening to all kinds of music, but um, and of course, my bloody Valentine mm-hmm. loomed, loomed large at that point. Yeah, yeah. And we we love that, but we we also always were listening to the Beatles yeah. and Pink Floyd. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, and and the Sid Barrett records I loved, and um, but just stuff that was pretty like pretty epic. Yeah. Um, it- and uh, so I think that was really what we, even though we were doing it in our own way in a mm-hmm. totally different time, we wanted to create that sort of um, sprawling experience yeah, over the yeah. course of a record. Yeah, that makes sense. It definitely seems like you guys have that appreciation, too, for the LP experience, you know, the concept album, if you will. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I have a lot of patience as a listener of music. Yeah, you know, yeah. I can... If it's if it's done in the right way, I could listen to like bees buzzing for twenty five <laughs> minutes, segueing into you know someone working in a metal shop or nice. whatever. It's like, I mean, I I I can hear music in a like even the sounds of this elevator. <laughs> is that what that is? <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's, that's what it is. It's the elevator. But um, so I just like that whole ambient. Uh, yeah. A part of it, it came from um, uh, Gamelin Court Music in Bali. Mm. I had this record, and that music is just crazy because it all—it just sounds like sounds in nature or out in the jungle, or right. things are just falling together in no real pattern. The voices and the bells and yeah. the gongs, and and but somehow it's like it fits. makes total sense, you know. Are you guys sampling a bit from your environment? Is there? Some of that sort of in the new direction. Um, I'm sh- I'm sure there will be. Yeah. I don't know that we've done that yet, but I mean, we yeah, on Fantastic Planet, we got into that, and I just always love having stuff like that because you know you could only try so hard, and yeah. sometimes when you when there's no thought behind something, it's it's actually the most musical. That's true. You know. Yeah. I yeah. I always bring up the example of. Uh, like rehearsing in rehearsal studios and there's always bands that you can hear through the walls which is often an awful excruciating experience but i i swear that the 
the time that a lot of these bands sound the most musical is like when the guitar player is just tuning. Yeah, yeah. And I'll, go, I'll you know, I'll think like, wow, that's kind of nice. Yeah, that's yeah. the first time the guy hasn't driven me crazy. Right. The sort of unexpected. Um, so, how have you guys approached sort of the the writing process? Is it similar to how you guys were writing during uh, during Fantastic Planet, or is it? Uh is it a sort of different ball game altogether? I mean, do you start maybe with a lyrical idea, maybe just a riff? Um, what what tends to come first, I guess, in in the writing? Or is it different every time? Just whatever strikes. I think it it usually starts from it's it's all different. Yeah, you know, uh, a song like Heliotropic is one way. It's really jam based. Yeah, yeah. We come up with that moment and expand on it. Um, a song like Blank or The Nurse. That's just you know I, I just wrote those on yeah. a guitar nice um and uh and then there's songs that are a combination right and then there's songs where ken and i are just sort of face to face with yeah. our instruments on and mm-hmm. we just kind of work it out yeah. right there in the moment um but it's usually the lyrics that are the last kind right. of the grueling experience right <laughs> right it yeah. can be hard and uh, and it's it's pretty much the same now. I mean, working with Ken now, it's it's exactly the same. Yeah, I, I can definitely feel that that this come crashing, you know, has sort of a you know a, a, an awareness of the sort of moment and the place that you guys are in, and sort of you know how's where's this going to go and. Um, it seems just very pregnant with possibility, and it's, yeah. it's exciting. I know that the fans will be waiting for it. I know, you know, yeah. I, I'm, I'm looking very much forward yeah, to it. Yeah, and well. I keep, I, I mean, the, the whole thing with this reunion was that it, if we didn't have some really strong uh, new ideas that we were very confident and excited about, um, that, um, that we've already recorded some of them, um, one of them which has come crashing but if 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 that didn't exist we wouldn't have decided to do this sure sure. because we couldn't just you know exist on whatever right fumes and making a little money and yeah. whatever the nostalgia of it sure sure is, so is it actually hard to conjure those kind of earlier days the darker stuff that you know now you guys are, are obviously very different people in very different places um have experienced so much you know ken with his you know on and you're the rabbit and you with auto lux and you know cup I was lucky enough to catch all of you guys in different contexts, and uh, it was, it's very cool. And, and you can hear that now, I feel like, and, and come crashing some of those influences. Yeah. And so to go back to, to yeah. the other stuff, but I mean, that you know, come, that come crashing, uh, the music, that progression uh, is something that I wrote right right after Failure broke up. Yeah. Wow. So it, it, that one goes way back. Yeah. And it really was a song that would have been that would have been definitely up. Yeah, up for grabs for the next failure record. Absolutely. So, um, uh, yeah. Well, uh, what was the question though? <laughs> I'd say like a like dirty blue balloons or something like that. Is it right. hard to go into those sorts of spaces now, or is it? I don't feel any darkness about it. No? Uh, okay. which is not at all. Yeah, and maybe that's just a, a function of the audience is yeah. being so great, and right. it's like right. a. I mean, it feels like a celebration yeah i really usually for most of my experience on stage is really just one of trying to uh find some level of comfort and right. not have my mind wander sure, and, sure but on this tour 
the audience is just every time I look up, it's impossible to not be connected because yeah, yeah. everybody is having a great time. You yeah. know, it's they're having a great emotional time with the waiting songs. a long time for this. Yeah. And it's not. Um, yeah. Like sometimes I think about the darkness of where the lyrics came from and, and everything, but it doesn't uh, it never gets me down. That's great. Know? That's good. It's more cathartic. Yeah. Yeah. That's really awesome to hear. Well, really looking forward to uh, to the show, and uh, can't thank you enough for taking this time, yeah, of meeting course. with us, and uh, thank you, yeah, and, and looking forward to the new stuff, man. Great, yeah, thank you. All right. made it through it super fan roddy interviewing his hero greg edwards um he stayed for the whole show said it was fucking awesome i only saw the uh, first first song first few songs and then a little intro thing they did with a bunch of films and i can concur it was fucking awesome uh they're out on tour now go see them if they're coming to your town we'll put the tour dates in the show notes that is it for our podcast this week. Our very next podcast, uh, there was a little ruckus here in D.C. about a crowdfunding, crowdsourcing uh, concert promotion tool called Rabble. Uh, so we figured we would get to the bottom of that. Uh, we're going to be talking with the CEO of Rabble and the founder of Listen Local First, Chris Naum, who many of you know. Uh, so that is going to be coming up uh, either be on Monday or Tuesday. Uh, beyond that, we've got some really great interviews. I know we're talking to Sylvanesso this weekend. Uh, so yeah, as always, thank you for listening. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you are really internet savvy or app savvy, uh, we're also on Stitcher. Uh, it might be on a few other platforms pretty soon. But anyways, that's our podcast for this week. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.